I'm smiling because I'm so reluctant to say it, but page 18, I'm on page 18, so if you want to read that, please do. And then I can at least know somebody's read it somewhere. Um, just while we're on the topic of Christmas and gifts, uh, you'll be really struggling. You're going to be really struggling if you're taking gift advice from me. But just in case anybody is struggling to know what to get their loved ones for Christmas, uh, I, want to, I want to offer you a suggestion. A fridge. Struggling to know what to get your loved one for Christmas, get them a fridge and watch their face light up when they open it. Thank you. Thank you. Is that does that pass the dinner table? Is that good, Jimmy? Thanks. Um Advent third week, third Sunday of Advent. Uh and I know I've said this, I think I've said this the last, the last couple of weeks, um, but just bear with me because I think it, it is, it's worth repeating. Advent is waiting. We start with waiting. And I know we're, we're, we've mentioned all the, David's let us know all the stuff that's coming up over Christmas. We're talking about pr- Christmas presents, but we're not there yet. The story does not start with the celebration of Jesus. That's not where the story starts. The story starts with waiting. We start with waiting. We begin not by celebrating Jesus, but by waiting for Jesus. And I keep on, I keep on sharing this, because I, maybe it's just me, but I, need to, I keep needing to be reminded of this because I don't like to wait. That's obvious, and we've, we've said that before, uh, we don't like to waiting. It feels especially in our instantaneous age that we don't like waiting. I had, like, I know this in myself, I had ordered, I wanted a book to come today, and so I have Prime, and Amazon should have delivered it yesterday, but they didn't. I only ordered it on Friday. But so I've been so caught up in its instantaneous age that I'm like, I bought this yesterday, and how come it's not here today? That's what I thought was going to happen. Don't like to wait. Um, it feels like, to, to, to be really honest, sometimes it feels like it, it can be quite vulnerable to wait. Depends what we're, obviously depends what we're talking about. But I think even, in, even today, chatting to different church leaders, there's all, and, and it's not just in this season, there's almost this weird pride about being busy. I feel like it's a... It's a token of success, the busier that we are. Um, and, and I think that is, it's almost one of those things that you should um, like almost say quietly. So, so opposed are we to waiting, so opposed are we to the stillness and the silence and the contemplation that we fill it with busyness, we fill it with instantaneous feelings or events or programs. Um, so I hope I'm not saying this just like to as some sort of rant. I do want to continue to emphasize the importance of waiting, the importance of this season. Advent and Christmas are two separate seasons. They're two separate events. We're still in the waiting and we're still wanting to know. We're still wanting to discern what it is that uh, the poets and the prophets 
and the Messiah and Mary and all the cat. What do they want to teach us as we wait, as we listen, we discern? And so, as we've been doing the last two Sundays, we've been following the the lectionary. Um, the first Sunday of Advent, where we were in Isaiah two, and then. Last week, we were in Isaiah 11. And just really quickly, Isaiah, the poet, the prophet, was reimagining the world when this anticipated one comes. So the book that we're reading, Jackie's already mentioned it. Thank you so much to everybody who's um, cont- contributing to that. Uh, but it's taken, from, uh, it's taken from a series of devotionals. The book is called The Anticipated Christ. And so Isaiah is reimagining the world when the anticipated Christ will come. In the first week, we've seen how he reimagined a world when weapons would be exchanged for garden tools, when rather than, uh, when rather than things being turned into a battleground, to be turned into a garden to cultivate. Last week, we've we seen Isaiah reimagining a world where out of this stump, the, the stump of the root of Jesse was lifeless, it was hopeless, but from this stump, a shoot appears. It begins to remind us, or it begins to point to, to this one, this anticipated one, who would bring justice to the poor and would defend the exploited, is what Isaiah 11 tells us. And thank goodness we have this privilege of being beyond Isaiah's time and seeing the fulfillment of what he had imagined. And Luke 4 was a fulfilling of, of Jesus bringing justice to the poor, Jesus defending the, the oppressed and the exploited. And we see in Luke 4 when the Spirit was upon him, anointed him to bring good news to the poor, to set the oppressed free, blind eyes open, proclaim the year of the, the Lord's favor. So let's say uh, week three, our reading is Isaiah 35. Um, and... It's only 10 verses in Isaiah 35, so let's, let's read them all. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom and it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. Or there's some of your versions if you're, I think it's maybe the NLT here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsting ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there and it will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. 
they will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Neff. Um, it's, as we've said, I think the last couple of weeks, Isaiah, in the time that Isaiah is writing this, it is things are not good in Judah. We talked last week, the, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poor, poorer, the, the, the marginalized are being exploited. Um, all of that is taking place. And here is Isaiah once again, the poet prophet, beginning to paint the picture, beginning to reimagine the world when the anticipated Christ comes. And the picture that he begins to paint is there will be a time when the parched land will rejoice. There will be a time when the wilderness, the dry, barren wilderness will blossom. Fruit will appear where there was dryness in a place of um, thirsty land. The thirsty land will rejoice. We begin to, to read these words of the prophet, the, the, the weak, the feeble hands will be strengthened, the, 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 the weak knees will be steadied, the fearful hearts will hear from God, don't be afraid. And it goes on, the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped, then, and the lame will walk and the mute will shout for joy. Water gushing forth in the wilderness, just to sit with this. We don't have time this morning, but to sit with that. And we just begin to imagine it in your own mind's eye. The place of barrenness and hopelessness. When the anticipated Christ comes, water will gush forth from the wilderness. Then the thirsty ground springs will begin to bubble up. Love this picture. We feel like prophesying it over us this morning. The words of Isaiah, those of us that are Maybe in that same place, I know it's 700 years before Christ, but maybe there's still that same sense of barrenness or that same sense of dryness. But your God will come, Isaiah says. He paints this picture and says, here is your God. I can't help, you can't help but read these words and see them almost matched word for word in the story uh, that Matthew tells us in the first gospel in Matthew chapter 11. And so for a few moments today, we're going to jump, we're going to jump forward. Um, we're not going to spend all our time in it with Isaiah. We're going to jump forward to what he, was, what, he was, what he was imagining and beginning to pass, what he was prophesying beginning to be fulfilled in the life of Jesus who has now come. And in Matthew chapter 11, um, Jesus had finished instructing his disciples and he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And so here we have, the, then we have this, um, this engagement that John, these questions that begin to enter into John the Baptist's mind. So really quickly, before we, before we go there, just so that you know, Isaiah 
not only had he prophesied and began to reimagine a world with this anticipated Christ, but he prophesied about the prophets. Mark chapter 1 tells us, uh, taken from Isaiah 40, um, in the beginning of the gospel about Jesus, it is written in Isaiah, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And that's what John was all about, a voice in the wilderness declaring the way of the Lord, making, I think it's Luke's account, making crooked paths straight. And we get a, I, th- I think it's in Mark's account where we get, a, we get a, bit of a bit more of an insight into this character. And to say that John was eccentric would be an understatement. How he dressed, what he, his diet, what he, what he ate. He lived in the wilderness, dressed in camel hair, eating locusts. I can't imagine if he was about today that there'd be many would go to hear John the Baptist preach. But somehow this, this man in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord, a voice in the wilderness declaring the way of Jesus, people began to be drawn to him, to hear this message of repentance. And uh, over and over again, people were baptized through the ministry of this eccentric dude. But he'd rebuked, in the midst of all that was going on, he had rebuked Herod. Herod was governor, uh, governor over this region. And he had dared to question Herod, who had stolen, who had taken his brother's wife for himself. Follow this. There's a soap opera in the making here. Herod had taken his brother Philip's wife for himself and John the Baptist rebuked him. Like, you can't do that, Herod. And whatever, whatever he had said, whatever way he had said it, he, he upset Herodias. And Herod's now wife, and she gets so upset. She was so annoyed. How, who does he think he is? How dare he? And she ended up, through a series of events, ended up with John in prison. And that's, that's where we are. That's where we pick up these, these words from Matthew 11. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And for whatever reason, I, like I was saying to some of the guys on Friday night, this is, how, this is how our party went. We were talking about John the Baptist around our dinner table. Uh, but we, that, that question, that question that John asked, here he was, he, he had gone out, he had like given his life to proclaiming, to being a voice in the wilderness, declaring the way of the Lord, making paths straight, giving his life to this. And he's left in prison asking this question about Jesus, like, what have I done? Are you the one, Jesus? Or am I, am I waiting for someone else? I, I am almost like find myself the angst of asking that question. Give his life fully to this. Ends in prison, ends up in prison. Are you the one who was to come? Are you the one that we were anticipating? Are you the one that was prophesied? Are you the one that uh, all these uh, reimaginations that were given to us, is it really you or have I got it wrong? 
Do we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, go back and report to John. And so Jesus says this to the two disciples, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. And remember what we've read in Isaiah 35, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear, and Jesus goes even further than what was reimagined and prophesied. The dead are raised to life, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is the man who does not take offense in me or at me, some versions say. And so John, in his mind, is in prison, and he's probably thinking, I've been here long enough. When I've prepared the way, when is Jesus going to come and kick butt? He was expecting that Jesus was going to come and destroy and take over. He imagined, I think, that he was going to come break him out of prison and they were going to begin this revolution that was going to take over. So many questions, so much doubt, but I, we go back to this, what was the prophetic word of Isaiah. Here is your God. Here he is. Those are, there's those that are receiving sight. There's those that are walking. There's the deaf are hearing. The dead are raised. Here he is. Jesus is doing all that Isaiah would say, all that Isaiah had said, and more. Here is your God. Jesus is, in some ways, this is me. We can't, there's been, there's been part of me, and I think maybe that's why I got caught in this question that John asked, because I think there's been part of me was almost in my head, was really harsh about John or towards John, what I thought about John. Like, how could you ask this question? How could you not know? How do you not have seen? How can you have recognized the anticipated one? This, it was the Messiah that you've been waiting for. Because if we were to flick on even past the cross and past the resurrection, in Acts chapter 1, we still see the disciples almost asking a similar question. They're asking, Lord, at this, are you going to restore Israel at this time? Essentially carrying some of those uh, unmet expectations. Had this expectation that when the Messiah came, they were, there was going to be a shift in the power dynamics. When Messiah came, he was going to come in and take over take control, but the way he lived and the way he called us to follow was just completely contrary to what they thought or what they imagined. That's why they asked. They had expectations that it would be different. John had expectations that it wouldn't be this way. And if we are honest too, we're able to sit with this for long enough, and I encourage you to do that today. Be able to sit with this long enough. If we are honest, we too have become disappointed when God doesn't act who we expect. Why Jesus' words ring true. Blessed is the one who does not fall away. 
Blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. Blessed is the one who is not disappointed by me. We too become disappointed when he does not meet our expectations. When he doesn't act how we expect him to act. When he doesn't act how we think that he should act. Jesus is saying, blessed are you if you don't, are not offended, are not disappointed. I don't want to labor in this. I don't have the time to do it on a Sunday morning, but how often, maybe you could ask yourself this, how often have you been, maybe even this week, disappointed that he hasn't met your expectations? And I think we can hold on to that. I think we can hold on to that disappointment that it could leave, mean that we fall away. And Jesus said, bless if you don't fall away because of disappointment, because of deep pain of your expectations not being met. So I'd encourage you to sit with him and I'd encourage you to share it with God. Tell him, tell him about those times, those things that you've held on to and you've suppressed them and you've buried them for long enough. Where have you held on to disappointments when he has not met your expectations? And as sensitive as I am, and as sensitive as I want to be, I also want to say with real conviction that Jesus will not serve any other agenda or any other cause or any other party. And that was... That was what he faced, even with his own disciples. It's what he faced with every sect of the religious elite. He faced it with the Pharisees because they were so about the Torah. They were all about the Torah, and they wanted Jesus to become part of their party. They wanted Jesus to endorse their thinking or their thing. They couldn't handle it when Jesus said, you've searched the scriptures all your life, and you've still missed it not there that you'll find eternal life, it's here. He wouldn't meet their cause. He wouldn't fit into their agenda. He wouldn't join up with their party. They did it the same. We could go through, we could go through them all if we had time this morning. There's ones that wanted, that wanted to be all about the temple. They were all about the restoration of the temple, and they were, like, that's why he ended up, essentially, that's why he ended up at the cross. That's why they ended up turning on him. Because they were wanting the restoration of the building, but Jesus says, you are the temple. He would not join their agenda or their cause to see the temple rebuilt. He says, it's you, you are the temple. Spirit dwells in us, and he wouldn't join their cause or their agenda. There's ones that wanted revolution. Revolution, violence, revolution. Taking power, taking control, and Jesus wouldn't give in to that. He wouldn't even be like the Essenes who withdrew completely from society. They withdrew altogether, disengaged. And Jesus did withdraw. But Jesus withdrew in order to be present in the world. And so he would not fit. He would not serve their cause. He would not serve their agenda or their party. And I... And I think that's important to hear. And again, we can point at some of these people in the scriptures, but we could also take a look inside. Sometimes I go on to social media and 
you recognize that people are doing the same thing today? Trying to get Jesus to join their party. Trying to get Jesus to serve their cause. Trying to convince everybody else that Jesus is on their team and not somebody else's. He'll not serve that agenda. And I, and I say this unashamedly, actually, he will not serve any of our politics. He'll not, even, he'll not even fit into the cause and the agenda for denominations. He'll not do it. Here he is. Isaiah holds him out before us. Here he is, strengthening feeble hands and steadying those whose knees have gone weak. And where there's been parched land, bringing, bringing water, water of life. Where there's been people in the wilderness because of being marginalized and exploited, bubbling springs. Here he is. Blind will see. Those who have been overlooked and unseen, Jesus. Confronts the injustice. He prioritizes the poor. And Jesus, and actually the whole of Scripture, is unashamed about this. And so the gift of waiting, and I finish with this, the gift of waiting is that we quiet ourselves to hear what the Father is doing. He's always working. Jesus told us that. He's always working. He is always loving his creation. He is always loving so the call, I think, for us in the waiting is to be still in order to hear what it is that the Father is doing. Where is he at work? If I'm, if I'm in any way right this morning, it's not going to be in the cultural wars. It's, I don't even think it's going to be in the theological wars. It's going to be with the poor. And it's going to be with those who mourn. It's going to be with the meek. It's going to be with the pure in heart. It's going to be with the persecuted. It's going to be with the merciful. It's going to be with the peacemakers. Blessed are they. Blessed are they. That's where I think he's going to be at work. And the reality is that we live in the now and the not yet. We are, it's almost like we are in perpetual advent because we are waiting for him coming again. And we'll talk a wee bit about that next week. Because advent is not just about us going back to remember and to begin to see what was reimagined. It's about, it's about this still waiting for him to come again. So we're still in this place of advent. But the now and the not yet is. Stuff that we walk in and that we see and get glimpses of now, but it's not yet and it's full, and so we are waiting still. Waiting for him to come again. And again, the words of Isaiah, maybe for us today, strengthen it in this time, in this now and not yet. And let this be my prayer, actually. Father, would you strengthen feeble hands father would you steady knees that give way
Father, would you speak? Would you say to fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Our God will come. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. Thank you that you are coming again. Amen.